If you have a copy of your scriptures, please turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, before we hear God's word preached, we're just going to be dealing with verses 1 through 9. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of the word and the reading of the word. Let's pray that it, the word will speak to us this evening. Father, we come before you and we are humbled that there's a better covenant. The mediator of a better covenant, your son, Jesus Christ, as we have heard already, we can go boldly to him and you will hear us, O God. And Father, we pray that you will make effectual those truths and those promises written in your scripture. Father, we pray that our hearts would long for heaven this evening, long for biblical justice to come. Father, we pray that if someone doesn't know you, which there's a chance, Father, there's probably in every congregation in the world, there's someone that doesn't know you. And Father, we pray that you would change their hearts. We are trusting in you and we're crying out to you that you would change their hearts. For those of us that do know you, would you encourage our hearts, especially those who are hurting, those who need encouragement, we pray, O oh God, that this passage specifically in Jeremiah would speak to them. We pray that no one would see me, Father, but see this text in such a way that they are encouraged. Father, we pray your spirit would do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah, and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers, had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, from Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And thus is the reading, the very word of God. Many of you may remember the exact place you were at when a traumatic event took place in your life. I'll never forget this traumatic event. It was 1996, over 25 years ago. I was just a man, young man from Savannah, Georgia. Never been to the Midwest before. Took a little 
ride to the Midwest, went to a little small Bible college there, right, side of the, right outside of the Ozarks of Missouri. And I remember sitting there with some friends I had just met at a restaurant. We ordered appetizers, and I, and I ordered a glass of tea. I'll never forget taking that big gulp of tea and almost spit it out. I said, what is this? They said, you ordered tea. I was like, that's not tea. It's not even sweet. Well, little did I know in the Midwest, they didn't put sugar in their tea in 1996. It was a culture shock for me. It's a big deal. So she brought me out these little packets of sugar, and I put them in the tea, and I swirled it around, and I realized, oh, they really don't, they don't dissolve when it's really cold. Those are some hard lessons that I learned in life. Alison Glock wrote in a magazine that sweet tea isn't a drink, really is culture and a glass. The South might not have invented sweet tea, but we sure did put it on the map. We perfected it. So much to the point in 2006, McDonald's started serving nationwide Southern sweet tea. I'll never forget in California when I could finally get me a real glass of Southern sweet tea. Well, now I'm in my mid-40s, and I've started to realize that that southern sweet tea is not as good for me as, as it was when I was a teenager. As a matter of fact, it's a little too sweet for me now. I'm starting to drink Coke Zero. I'm starting to cut back on my sugars. And now when I go into Parker's, or maybe you go into Bucky's or the Quick Trip, wherever you get your tea as a southerner, and you're getting your tea, I always get the first little half sweet. And that's too sweet, so I have to dilute it with unsweet tea. Right? You have to dilute it. You know, it's interesting. God is telling the exiles not to dilute their faith, even though they're in exile. Remember when Jesus talked about the saltiness of salt? You are salt of the earth, but if salt shall lose its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? He's telling them, don't dilute your salt. Salt's a pretty stable chemical. But if you dilute it enough, you can't taste it. You know, you drink some ocean water, it's salty. But keep diluting it, keep diluting it, keep diluting it, keep diluting it, and you won't even realize the salt is there. That's the reason Jesus says you don't take your light and hide it under a bushel. You put it on a stand so the world can see it. God is telling the exiles who were leaving their homeland, leaving the land where the temple was and, and where God promised them, you are going to go to a pagan nation. Stay salty. Don't dilute your faith. If you're taking notes, we're going to see five things. Five worked last week, so we'll do it again. First thing we're going to see is situation. We, we have to realize the situation they're in. The second thing we're going to see is sovereignty. God wants to let them know he's in charge. Third thing we'll see is settlers. They're called to be settlers in their community. Fourth thing we'll see is saltiness. They're called to stay salty. And the fifth thing we'll see is they're supposed to be suspect. Situation, sovereignty, settlers, saltiness, and suspect. And yes, they all start with S. But as we look at this current situation, I don't know if you've ever traveled overseas to a country where they did not speak English. I was in Central Asia in the, 
right around 2003 or 2004, and I remember going to these English corners. And in the English corners, there are, there are people who are oppressed who really just want to learn English. And if you could speak English, you are their best friend. And you'd pile into a room about the size of this stage, and there'd be three to 400 people in that room. You're like sardines, and they're up in your face. They are fighting to have a conversation with you in English. I'll never forget the first time this man stood in front of me and saying, country roads, take me home to the place. And I'm like, how do they know John Denver way out here? It's incredible. Well, it seems like John Denver is pretty popular in Western China and Kazakhstan. They like country roads, take me home, because it makes them long for their homeland. I think if Judah could sing a song in exile, they would sing country roads. And maybe you have been taken away from your homeland. And maybe you long to be at your home. They loved their land. They had the temple there. That's the land that God promised them. They're used to the weather. They're used to growing what they could grow. It's a good thing to love the land that God gave them. It's a good thing to love the temple. But have you noticed that the reason they're in the situation that they're in is because they took what was good and they turned it into an idol. And I was really thinking about the heart of idolatry. Think about a thief. Well, I have to steal. Why? Because what if my kids are going hungry? Right? Got to steal. Or our government's corrupt. Because my government's corrupt, you know what? I'm going to cheat on my taxes today. And you feel a little bit justice about what you're doing, right? You take a porn addict. You ask a man who's a Christian or a woman who's a Christian who sits in the church and you say, why are you a porn addict? And they'll say, well, it's better than having an affair with, with a man or a woman, right? Well, it, it's true. It is better than having an affair, isn't it? Are people who say, you know what? Just had a conversation. We had it on Wednesday night and I had another conversation on Thursday in our small group about forgiveness. Some people, I can't forgive them. They haven't earned it. Or I set a boundary and I won't forgive them. No, 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 no. Thomas Watson, as Pastor David said, no, we're, we're called to forgive. All of those things are good, right? Boundaries are good. Not having an affair is really good. Working, providing for your children are good. But you can make those things idols. And it seems that Satan loves taking that little bit of good that you have and he makes it into an idol. And you have to ask yourself, not just with your sin, now with every sin, what's the little bit of good that you see in that? And that's what Judah did. They took that little bit of good. God gave us a temple. God gave us the land. And they started to worship that which the Lord gave them. Well, that's the heart of idolatry. And the current situation they were in is you are now exiled because of your heart. Because you chose to worship that which God gave you instead of the worship the God that gave that to you. You will now be exiled. And Jeremiah is writing a letter to those exiles just like Paul would write a letter to Corinth. Septuagint, it would be epistle, right? He's actually writing in a, an epistle, a letter to encourage them. This should be very encouraging. So I'm going to try to make it encouraging tonight. Look at verse 1 as he's writing to these exiles who the current situation that they're in is not good. You're away from your homeland. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem 
to the surviving elders of the exiles. Remember, not all the elders made it. Some of them died. It was difficult sometimes for elderly people to make it there. But he's also writing this to the priest, the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother. Basically, he let his mother lead for a while. It wasn't good. The eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. So after Nebuchadnezzar came and he takes these people who had a, who had a bad heart, who did not trust in the Lord, who were actually making child sacrifices at the time, who were sinning, who were basically using God as a checklist. I can worship these other gods and just in case Yahweh's right, I'll worship him too. They were checking a box. They were now taken by Nebuchadnezzar and taken back to Babylon. And he says, I'm writing you this letter, but I need you to understand the current situation that you're in. Look in the mirror and say this, Judah, you are in exile. Remember the promises that God made? If you do not follow me with your heart, you will be gone from this land. They did not believe it would happen. And it happened. And they have to look at the mirror and say, I'm here because of my sin. Have you ever met someone who just did not want to admit the situation they were in? Like, no, no, no. There are people that refuse to look in the mirror and say, I am the problem. My sin is the issue. I deserve death and hell. See, every Christian in this room will tell you, we had to look in the mirror one day and say, you know what? I'm a big sinner. And I don't deserve heaven. See, until you can do that and recognize the situation you're in, you, you can't recognize Christ. And finally... Judah was in a place where they could look in the mirror and recognize, you know what, the situation I am, it's, it's my fault. But look at this. Let's look at the sovereignty of God here. Verse 3. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Just so you understand, you can go back to chapter 26 and re-listen to that sermon it seems that Josiah, remember Josiah was a good king who tried to make reform, but it never really stuck because it was never deep down in their hearts because ultimately laws don't change hearts. It's the spirit and the gospel that changes the heart. But he was a good man. He was a very good man, a good king. And he tried to implement these laws. He had secretaries and he had other men who were convinced that Yahweh was king and that loved the Lord and were willing to risk their necks and their lives for Josiah, even after his sons came in and his grandson came in and were wicked, they were still true to Yahweh and they were kind to Jeremiah. Some of these men will be mentioned all throughout the book of Jeremiah, whether it was Jeremiah or Baruch, his secretary writing this. He tips their hat to them and saying, these are godly people who have helped me and God in his providence has brought these men. And in verse 4, it says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom what? I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. See, if you read in verse 1, 
The thought was Nebuchadnezzar has taken us in exile. Nebuchadnezzar has done this. Wicked Nebuchadnezzar has come and basically torn over Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and destroyed the land. It was Nebuchadnezzar who did this. Nebuchadnezzar who did this. And God says, no, right off the bat, I did that. I sent you into exile. Do not rob me of what I have done. God says, I'm the one that did this. Do you remember the book of Job? God does the same thing to Satan. You know, Satan comes before God and says, I'm roaming the earth. However you take that, that's really interesting. But he says, have you considered my servant Job? He's a pretty godly man. Not as godly as we are. He's a godly man. He says, yeah, go ahead and sift him and see what happens. And, and what was it? Uh, men kept reporting to him that day. That was probably the worst day we see in Scripture of, of a man in the Old Testament. Right? He finds out that all of his sheep die right, from like a firestorm. I think the Chaldeans came and they killed all his camels and the rest of the animals. And then a big tornado came and killed all his family. Like he just has absolutely nothing and he's wrecked. You know, he still praises the Lord. And Satan comes back to God. After all that's taken place, his family's gone, his crops are gone, his, his livestock is gone, he has nothing. And God said this, Have you considered my servant Job? A man who fears God, he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. God didn't give Satan credit for all that. He said, I did that. And Satan was going to say, well, can you do more? Satan knows who's in charge. Anything that Satan does is because the sovereign God of the universe permits it. That's a big pill to swallow, isn't it? It's a big pill I had to swallow one day. And I'm okay with it. It choked on the way down. But I swallowed it. Satan's not in charge of this exile. God is in charge of the exile. God is in charge of this hard time that Judah is going through. And maybe you're a lot like the exiles. That's a big pill to swallow that your hard times that you're going through, that God is still the sovereign king. But remember, this is a comforting letter. It should be very comforting to know that God is in charge of everything and He is the sovereign king of the universe and nothing takes place apart from the sovereign hand of God. It's comforting because there's purpose behind it. When Joseph is sold into slavery, it is wicked, wicked institution. And he's sold into slavery. And what did he tell his brothers? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Why is it comforting? Because we serve a good God. Because God is good. And that will be the fight that Judah has for the next 70 years in exile. They're going to have to ask, is God good? Am I still going to worship Him? Though I'm away from the temple, though I'm away from the epicenter of Jewish worship, am I still going to worship Him? Well, you know God's good. We see something that Judah couldn't see, and that's the cross of Christ, right? We know that our greatest need was taken care of. We, even more than Judah, should be yelling from the streets, God is good. Which brings us to the third part of this sermon. Settlers, 
We've seen their situation. We've seen God's sovereignty. Now we're going to look that they're called to be settlers. Um, if you remember, when Peter was writing his letter, he wrote it to God's elect exiles. And he's perusing the Old Testament. And he sees this theme of exiles. People who are not in their homeland. And he's telling Christians, your true home is in glory, in heaven, with God. And while you're on this earth, you are just like the exiles of Judah. Remember, Judah's true heart should have been for heaven also. They should have loved the God that gave them the land. They should have loved the God that gave them the temple. The temple was full of what? Heavenly worship. I want to be in the, the gates with God. I want to be with God. That was the worship of the Psalms. We want to be with God. They should have known. And what Jeremiah is telling the exile, he's telling them this. Be prepared for the long haul. Not going to be a short, easy road. You're going to be there for a while. And even though Peter speaks about the imminent return of Christ, which we should believe in, he still says, you know what? You better be ready for the long haul. We don't know when the Lord's going to return. You better be ready tonight. You better know him as your Lord and Savior. Live as if he's, if he's coming today. But at the same time, he may tarry. Don't go to Vegas and bet at all. <laughs> all right? This is what he says in verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Do not give up on the promises. God says, I made a promise to your father Abraham that I will make you into a great nation. You keep believing the promises. Do not stop believing the promises that I am good and I'm going to do exactly what I told you I would do. You live in light of believing the promises of God. That's exactly what Judah is called to do. Build your houses Plant your gardens, eat, have sons and daughters, celebrate marriage. Remember what Jeremiah has said three times already. There won't be any celebrations of marriages in Jerusalem. It's going to be nothing but pain and agony. But while you're in Babylon, you're going to have some parties. You're going to enjoy some weddings. You're going to have some grandkids. And you're going to increase in number because you keep believing and the promises of God. That was their calling. It's our calling. You know, Paul wrote something very similar to this in 1 Thessalonians. I heard one theologian say how boring the Christian life sounds in 1 Thessalonians. This is what he says. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business Work with your hands, basically get a job, as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. 
get a job, build a house, get married, have some covenant children. He didn't use that term, but I know he meant it. Judah was called to be settlers, to go settle that land. Go believe in the promises of God. Believe that God is good while you're living your life. Yes, the Lord may return today, but he also may send you in exile for a long period of time. The Lord may not return tonight. I hope he does. But if he doesn't, be prepared for the next 70 years of your life to live for him and believe the promises. We've seen the situation that they're in, which is very dismal. We've seen the sovereignty of God. We've seen the calling to be settlers. And now we get to see their saltiness. I don't mean salty the way that the millennials use it. I mean real salt, right? Actual salt. Last week I stood up here on July 4th weekend of all weekends and preached about the main problem with Judah was their nationalistic pride. You know, that's what got them in trouble. They loved their nation more than they loved God. That's the problem we see today. People who love their nation more than they love God. But you know, on the flip side, there's also a problem that people hate this nation. And God is going to tell Judah to love the city where I call you to. Love it. Look at verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Seek the prosperity where I seek you. Do not be bitter toward Babylon. Wait a minute though. What about Hananiah? Thank you, Mr. Mingonor, for pointing out that was the second place we see Hananiah. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the three Hebrew boys. Well, what about them? I mean, the Babylonians are going to try to kill these people for not serving Yahweh. Or what about Daniel, who gets thrown in a lion den and all the laws where you can't pray, all their festivals that are completely wicked? What about that? We're supposed to seek the peace and prosperity in that evil place? Yes. Seek the peace of the city. But what about the power-hungry men and the tax-stealing people and the enslaving people? You seek the good of the country, Judah. You know Babylon, as you read through Revelation, really, really stands for the satanic kingdom. St. Augustine picks up on that in the city of God. It's just easier for him to say Babylon than Satan's kingdom. That's what it represented. And though it was wicked, God calls them to seek the peace of Babylon. I want you to think, Judah had the same decisions to make that you make every day. Go ahead and Google search the, the Babylonian, the ancient Near Eastern celebrations. You know, every New Year, they celebrate an entire month of Marduk, which was a false pagan god. Celebrations everywhere. And you can imagine some of them saying, well, I'm not going to that celebration. They're like, dude, it's just food. It's sacrifice to idol. Who cares? It's good meat, right? I'm sure they're having the same conversations that Paul picks up in Romans. How are they supposed to be good citizens and seek the peace of the city and at the same time not dilute the salt? They're dealing with the same issue you deal with every day, is it not? 
You want to be good citizens. We're supposed to be salt and light. But last month, there's, there's an entire month dedicated, dedicated to sexual sin. There's holidays that you're like, should I go to this holiday? Should I go to this holiday? Where does my allegiance lie? Seeking the peace of the city doesn't mean you worship the city. Until you understand where your true home is, you can't really practice seeking the peace of the city. You can't appreciate the, and, and love where God sent you if your true home is not in glory. If your true home is in heaven and your heart is in heaven, you can now come here and love where you're set. Because it's a lesser love than your love for heaven. But nonetheless, it is still love. And he says, not only do you seek the peace of the city, he tells Judah to pray to the Lord on his behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Calvin will say in his commentary that they are to exert themselves to the utmost so that no harm might happen to the Chaldean monarchy. You pray for the monarchy. As, as evil as Nebuchadnezzar was, and maybe God answered their prayer, maybe he did it. I believe he did. That's another story. I think Nebuchadnezzar, I know the end of the story is really hard preaching this because I'm like, Nebuchadnezzar came to the Lord. I feel he did. That's where I stand on it. But he was wicked for a long time. And their government was wicked. And Calvin says, no. That wasn't your purpose to go there and overthrow their government. Your purpose was what? To go there and seek the peace of the city. Same thing Peter said, it was not. Submit. Give respect where honor is due to the emperor. And what's interesting about seeking the peace in the city, we have men in the military, in this church. And they can't be at church every Sunday. Not because they're deployed. It's because the officers, the captains, and the majors look at them and they go, you look responsible, you have guard duty on Sundays. Why them? Are they, do they run faster? Are they a better shot as a soldier? No. They just know there's something different about them. They're responsible. They seek the peace of the city. They, they want to be good at their job. They're respectful to the other officers. They know how to handle responsibility. Men and women in this church who own businesses, who help others. Why? Because you seek the peace of the city. You understand that you are a Christian first and foremost. And when you go to work, you try to be the best at your job. And when people go, man, I really respect you, you can say, you know what? I'm a Christian. I live a little differently. I love a little differently. I respect people a little differently. That's seeking and praying for the peace of the city. You know, Pastor David, he mentioned Psalm 122 this morning, and I have to mention it. So Jeremiah, as he's speaking to Judah, he makes a play on words here. And you need to understand that for hundreds of years, the Psalms of Ascent, people would be walking up to Jerusalem. And as they made their way, because Jerusalem's up on the hill, they call it the Psalms of Ascent because you ascend upon Jerusalem, you walk up the hill. They're walking up the hill and they're singing those psalms. They're excited. I can't wait to get to Jerusalem. And one was Psalm 122, which was pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Everyone knew that. And Judah changed the words. 
He says, pray for the peace of the city. What he's really saying is, you were to exhibit the same concern for Babylon as the concern that you display towards Jerusalem. Exhibit the same love and compassion for Babylon that you had for Jerusalem. The same love you have for Jerusalem, have that same love for Babylon. That's what he says when you seek the peace of the city and pray for the peace of the city. He says, you know that, that love that you had for Jerusalem? Have that same love for Babylon. Love the people there. Pray that the Lord blesses those people there. They weren't called to let Babylon dilute their saltiness. They were pray, they were called to live their faith out. They were called to build houses, right? Have children. Teach them the gospel. Teach them the truth of Yahweh. And it was to permeate the culture. That's what they're called to do. Just like you and I are called to do. And I think Phil Riken, in his commentary, really puts it so well. I thought I should read this. Seeking the peace of the city means being a good neighbor. It means shoveling the sidewalk. Now, he lives in Philadelphia. We don't know what that means in the South, right? It has to do with snow, I think, maybe. Anyway, we cut our grass here. It means shoveling the sidewalk. It means cleaning the street. It means planting a tree. It means feeding the poor. It means volunteering at a local school. It means greeting people at the store. It means driving safely and helping people with car trouble. It means shutting down immoral businesses. It means embracing people from every ethnic background with the love of Christ. That's seeking the shalom or the peace of the city. But see, he makes another observation. You could do all those things that some churches focus on and still never really bring peace. As we heard this morning, true peace comes from knowing Christ our Savior. If you really want true peace, you do those things with heaven in your heart with the love for your neighbor, praying and asking God for opportunities to share true shalom with them. That Christ Jesus was crucified for your sins. And if you put your faith in Him, you'll live with Him forever. While you're doing those things, that's our heart's motivation. True peace through Christ. We've seen the situation they were in, the sovereignty of God. We've seen they were called to be settlers. They were called not to lose their saltiness and have it diluted. And now they're called to be suspect. They're supposed to look at the prophets who were in exile and go, huh, I don't know if that's so right. You know, there seems to be a theme throughout all of the Scripture, including the Old Testament, New Testament, that wherever God's people are, that's where the false prophets seem to assemble. And I started thinking about this. The false prophets probably don't want to go to a mosque or go to some Babylonian worship center for Marduk because no one wants to listen to them because they say they speak on behalf of Yahweh. To be a false prophet, you have to claim to have a word from God. Well, no one else cares if you have a word from God because they don't believe it exists. You kind of have to have a church. You kind of have to have Christians. You kind of have to have that type of audience. And it seems that wherever God's people are called, 
that there's going to be false prophets. Even in exile. They're in exile, facing discipline of God. God is working to change their hearts, and now they still have false prophets. And he says this in verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. I says, don't listen to these men. Sift what they say. Be good Bereans. See if their word lines up with the prophetic word of Jeremiah. We would say the apostolic word of the apostles. See, these men were saying, you're not going to be here long. Don't worry about building houses. Don't worry about having kids and believing the promises of God. You'll be back in no time. <laughs> yeah. That's what they were saying. And we need to be on the lookout for these types of people. False prophets who come into our own church, as we heard this morning, cause division, either doctrinally or cause it by, as Pastor Brown would say, either drama or trauma. I appreciate that. As we close, I don't know if you've ever eaten those frozen vegetables before. I, the vegetables, they're pre-made, basically. They're a package, and you put them in the microwave, and you hit five minutes, and they start to cook, and they steam. And then they, you know, it starts really small, and they blow up like a big balloon. And then you take the scissors, and you cut the edges, because it's real hot, and you have to dump the water out. Well, I started looking on these bags of vegetables, because I think, oh, I'm eating healthy. And I didn't realize how much sugar content was in those bags of vegetables. Is it? Well, they have to put so much salt in these frozen vegetables to keep them preserved. But to counterbalance and to counteract that saltiness, they have to add a ton of sugar. And that's what the world wants to do to your Christian witness. They're going to do everything they can to counteract your Christian witness. Babylon did it to those in exile, and the world will do it to you. They want to turn you into a complainer. So the world wants you to start complaining about everything. This place is so terrible. Hate this place. God said to love the city. Pray for the peace. I can't. This is, I'm, I'm done with this place. Well, I've been there. Trust me. Last week I was there. <laughs> and I had to confess that. We have to love the city. Or Satan wants you to be like the city and join their festivals. And that really will dilute your witness. You'll have no witness at all. God has given us an amazing opportunity to love our city, to pray for peace for the city, bring peace in the city and, and teach them the true shalom in Christ. I pray and hope that we will believe the promises and dwell as the Lord has called us to dwell. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word.